Again, I'm Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's an honor for me to be able to share God's word with you this morning. And as I was praying about what to preach about this morning, um, I thought I would use what I was gifted at to be able to uh, integrate that into a sermon. And I believe I'm somewhat gifted at being um, relatable to youth. I've been a Involved in youth ministry for about 15 years. Um, I'm currently the youth pastor and have been the youth pastor here for quite a while. And so as I was thinking about the sermon, I, would th- I was thinking, what do the youth really struggle with that I could be able to apply to make applicable to an entire congregation? So this past Wednesday, I observed carefully. I watched the students interact like little animals and just kind of um, trying to uh, pick out where I found issues that they might be dealing with, and I found a common issue that every single one of them seemed to be struggling with. And the whole issue that they were struggling with is, where, where do I belong? Like, where do I belong here at youth group on a Wednesday night? Do I belong inside with these kids? Do I belong outside with these kids? Where do I belong? And I could see uh, the struggle, not just this past Wednesday, but in all the years of youth ministry, that this is a real problem for students not understanding where they fit in, not understanding what group they want to belong to. Do I want to be a jock? Do I want to be a drama person? Do I want to be a musician? Do I want to be so on and so forth? And if whatever group I do decide to place myself in, I got to make sure that I dress that way and act that way and talk that way. And sometimes this doesn't always work out. And so there's this struggle um, about where do I belong? How do I fit in to this society or to this world? And as I was thinking about that and how to address youth and how to address the congregation, I kept coming back to myself. I'm like, Jordan, well, where do you belong? And then I started to realize that it's not a youth problem. It's a human problem. It's a species problem. As in the youth aren't the only ones trying to figure out where they belong. Us as adults struggle with that as well. We try to fit into certain groups. We have a longing to be placed into a certain, um, into a certain membership. We want to be accepted by a group and then therefore base our identi- identity around that. It's just natural. It's natural because that's what you were created to do. You were placed to long for acceptance. You were created to have a desire to fit in somewhere, to have a purpose. And so I said, Perfect. That's what we're going to talk about. It's not a youth problem. It's a human problem. And so as I'm searching through scriptures, I see that humans had this problem from the beginning. It's not a 21st century problem that we can't figure out who we are. It's a human problem. So as I'm searching through scripture, I see that Paul is addressing one of the churches that he planted. And it was a church in Rome. And there seems to be an identity crisis in the church in Rome. Now understand that Paul had planted these churches and that Christianity was brand new. And so people were trying to figure out like how to be a church community. This was a new thing. And what made it particularly difficult was that up until this point, until Christ, there was one nation of God. And it was simply defined by being Jewish. It was, if you were Jewish, you were part of the chosen nation of God. So it was simple to identify yourself as a child of God. But what happened is, when Jesus came and started to preach, he opened up the gospel to everybody. And it was confusing. Because the church was planted, and you had maybe half 
Jews who had been worshiping God, the same God, for so long, and now they believed that their God had sent their uh, Savior, that the Son of God, Jesus, and they believed, so they were Christians, these Jewish people. But then you had these Gentiles who also believed in this God and believed in Christ, but never had that background of worshiping this God before. So the Jews had the way of worshiping God. They said, you eat this way, you stand this w- during this time, you sit during this time. You got to do these practices and able to worship God. And they're saying like, nah, Jesus didn't say we had to do all that. We just need to believe in him. And they're like, yeah, but it's disrespectful. And there was just kind of an identity crisis. They did commonly believe that they were the church of Jesus Christ. But because of their backgrounds, they had problems starting that first church. They didn't know how to operate. So Paul, addressing this identity crisis in Rome, offers like a, like a peace treaty. He says, I know there's some division here, but I want to be able to help you guys understand what's important about your church. So Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to these people that are at this church in Rome. And if you have your Bible, you'll find that our scripture this morning is from um, the letter to the Romans. And we're going to read from chapter 14. And we're going to read it in two readings, first one through six, and then seven through nine later. But beginning in verse one, hear the word of our God. Again, this is Paul writing a letter to the Church in Rome, there's plenty of uh, beautiful doctrines found in this letter. Let me just tell you, as a Christian, uh, you should treasure this letter to the Romans. I mean, it is just so rich uh, in in theology, talking specifically about how you can even have a relationship with God. And so if you ever don't really understand that process, his letter to the Romans is great. But he also wants to identify certain issues, and so he identifies their um, lack of belonging Uh, to the church and their identity crisis. So Paul says in verse one, as for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over your opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, that he will be, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. Why? Because he gives Gives thanks to God. So what Paul here is doing is he's addressing some real specific, tangible, logistical issues. The eating, the forms of worship, the Sabbath day. And Paul's addressing this stuff, but you notice how he kind of like moves past. He's like, he's eating, he's standing, whether he observes this day or not. He always ends with, yeah, but he does it for the Lord. So if he's a, a, a vegan or a, a meathead, if he's doing it and giving thanks to the Lord, then do it. Whether he stands or sits, it's the Lord who causes us all to stand and sit down anyway, so it's okay. So he's addressing all these issues, but he's trying to point to the motive of their hearts. He said, we do everything because we belong to the Lord. So the problem was is that each side, both the Gentiles and the Jews, found in this Roman church, they each wanted to be 
the OCs, the original Christians. I want to be an OC. I got the history, man. My, my, my grandpa, he was an OJ. And my grandpa before that was an OJ. I mean, we go way back. We're the originals. And they would say, yeah, but we're the new guys in town. We're the, actually the real OCs. Because you were OJs before you were OCs. We were nothing. We, were, we are the OCs. And so the problem is they both kind of wanted to figure out their style of worship and get it in because they both wanted to be the real OCs. But Paul is pointing to, to be a real, to have a real understanding of how God desires to be worshipped is to understand the true identity of your heart. Because out of the heart flows all things. So what God desires for you is not to just put on this show, but he wants you to be authentic. And as I thought about that word authentic, that's another thing that we strive for in society, right? To be authentic. Like when we know somebody who's like, like we'll say, man, I love that guy. He tells it like it is. He's real. I want to be real like that guy. And so we have this desire to be authentic, to be who we really feel like we are. And I think that the definition of authenticity in a human being is when the things that are going on in here and in here, that your desires, your thoughts, your wants, when that matches up what's going on out here, that's authenticity. What your inward voice matches your outward walk. That makes you authentic. Because the definition of authenticity, of, auth of being authentic, is there's an undisputed source of origin. That's what authentic means. Like if you had... Um, like some kind of memorabilia. You would have to, if you wanted to sell it or donate it, you would have to provide a certificate of authentic, of authentic, authenticity. You would have to provide that, saying that this was signed on this state by this person. This is where it came from. It's authentic. And so we have this desire to be authentic. We have this desire for our inward self to match our outward self. Or else we're what? Posers. If I'm believing and thinking and convicted about one thing, yet my life reflects something totally different, I'm a poser. And so Paul wants to address that. He wants to say, he said, we need to be authentic because that will cause our worship in God to be authentic. So Paul's pointing out that it's not about whether you eat, whether you sit, whether you stand. It's about the motive. It's about the authentic, authentic of your heart. <laughs> so it isn't about what people think about your choice or your action. It's about how the Lord sees the motive of your heart. So he end, he's, ends each quarrelsome example, eating, with it's for the Lord. It's to the Lord. You know, we're really uh, obsessed with this whole idea of being a part of something, right? Or like knowing our origin. Has anybody here done the Ancestry.com or 23andMe thing? It's become very popular. It's a booming business. Everywhere, you, if you watch TV for five minutes, you see Ancestry.com, found my long lost sister across the way, you know? And, uh, and it's a great thing. It's, it's, a, it's a cool development in science where you spit in a tube, you send it away, and three weeks later, you know that you're Irish and you didn't know that. 
And it's cool. And it's a booming business because people want to know their origin. People want to know where they came from. People want to know, uh, why am I me? Why, why do I have this look? Why do I act this certain way? And so I want to know my origin. So the Ancestry doc, Ancestry.com and 23andMe provide this opportunity for you to find out that you are 33% Irish. And you didn't know that before, but now you have a better understanding of yourself. Isn't that cool? That's a good thing. But that's our flesh. Your Ancestry.com and 23andMe won't tell you anything about your spiritual origin or your spiritual destiny. I won't tell you anything about that. But I would tell you that the Bible does. That the Bible has its very own 23andMe results page that you would open up and say, wow, so this is where I'm from. Scripture tells you of who you are, where you belong, and what's your purpose. In Deuteronomy, well, in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9, it gives us a, uh, a results list of who you are. So listen to this. This is where you're from. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Wait, what? Lord, I told you I'm Irish. I can't be Irish and holy. No, no, no. You're holy. Jordan, not only are you holy, but the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. I got the, somebody sent me the wrong results here. That can't be me. God telling me that my origin is a treasured possession, that I am holy. Man, I must have lived a really good life in order to earn that. And then he goes on and says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. You're actually the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to the fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him forever. That's your results of who you are. You want to know how to be authentic? When your inner self matches your outward self? Well, let me tell you this. If you desire that, first you've got to figure out the inner self. Because your inner self can never truly be authentic within itself if it's not functioning in its original purpose. I mean this. If I had invented the toaster, I love toasters. It's a genius. You put bread it gets hot, and it's like a totally different product comes out. It's amazing. Toast. I love toasters. I wish I would have invented the toaster. But the inventor of the toaster, its, it's original function, its intention is to toast bread. And if you're using a toaster for something else, the creator would be like, what are you doing? That's not supposed to be used to heat up your bathtub. It's very dangerous. 
The same thing is with you, a creation, a piece of creation. And the creator is saying, the innermost part of you I created, the reason that you have this desire to want to feel like you're a part of something, the reason that you desire to belong to something, the reason that you are searching to find your purpose and where you fit in is because when I created you, I gave you that desire for me. The problem is, is you're throwing it in the bathtub. The problem is, is that you are using these desires in all the wrong places. The problem is, is that when I gave you a desire to worship me, you worship something else. The problem is when I give you a desire to belong to my family, you search out for some other family to belong to in the world. And so you're not functioning. So no matter what you feel on the inside and try to do on the outside, that'll never match up or be authentic because the authentic you inside does not line up with me, the authentic creator. It's being missed, misused. So you can try all you want to line up your inner self and your outward self, but if your heart is not functioning in the way that it was intended to, to worship God, you continue to malfunction. You know, the beauty of, of, of God bringing us into his family and telling us of our heart's purpose and our heart's um, uh, place in this world is, is found in the, doctri- the doctrine of adoption. Now, Christians have used this doctrine of adoption um, to explain our relationship with God because I really think that in our world, it's the best example of our relationship with God is, is an adopted child. An adopted child is somebody who has been sought out, who has been wanted, who has been chosen and brought into a family, has been given all the naming rights, has been given all the inheritance. The father was not forced to take this child in, but it was done out of love. And J.I. Packer speaks of what it means to be brought into the family, to be adopted into the family of God in his book called Knowing God, which, by the way, if you want a book that wants to change your life and your relationship with God, I highly recommend Knowing God. Because the simple idea of the entire book, it's not really that long, is how can you love something you don't know? How can you love somebody you don't know? So his whole idea of the book is getting to know God because the more you know him, the more you love him. And so he writes of of what it means to be adopted. He says, to those who are Christ's, to those who belong to Christ, the holy God is a loving father because they belong in his family. They may approach him without fear and always be sure of his fatherly concern and care. You, do you know why this is radical? Because the Jewish people entering this church in Rome have spent their whole lives and the generations before, before that addressing God like this. Oh, holy reverend father. Yahweh, most high. I can't even look in your presence. You are holy. And Jesus comes in and he says, now you approach the father like this. Daddy, father, Abba, so for, for these Jewish people to try to get in their head that you could call the mighty, transcendent, amazing God, you could call him daddy, was mind-blowing. That is, is that disrespectful? No, Jesus is the one who taught us to call him that. His disciples, how do I pray? Jesus, show me how to pray. You say, our father. And addressing God as a father changed everything for these people. Because it wasn't this distant relationship anymore. Now it was like, wow, my father, do I have that relationship with my father now? Do I ha- can I have that kind of relationship with God? Has he really adopted me out of his love? 
Well, that's what the scripture says. That's what God's word says. Adoption in its very nature is the free gift of love. God adopts you because he chooses to. God chose to adopt you. He didn't have to. You obviously know that there's nothing you did to deserve his love. But he chose to adopt you. You know, as I was studying this, I kept coming across the same thing in the commentaries that said, if you were truly adopted by God, meaning that you have been brought in as a son and daughter, then that means if you stand in the presence of God with Christ as your representative, that God the Father loves you the same way that he loves his son. There's definitely a difference between us and Christ. (laughs) We can distinguish that he is the son, the second person in the Trinity, the only savior of the world. But the love that we receive from the father is the same love that he gives to his son. Because it's by his son that we have that love. I want you to think about that. Do you think about yourself like that for a second? God the Father, the creator of all things, loves you like he loves Jesus. So whatever you're trying to belong to, brother, sister, cannot promise you these kind of membership amenities that include being being loved by God the same way as the Savior of the universe is loved, that include being preserved, called holy, given everlasting life, forgiveness of sins. That's a club I want to be a part of. And that's what God has promised his people. The Westminster Confession of Faith talks about the membership amenities when you belong to the family of God. Here you go. All of those that are justified, God vouches for, in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption. Okay, so here you go. Now all of your amenities. By which now you are taken into the number, into the family of God. You enjoy all the liberties and privileges of the children of God. You get his name. As in when somebody adopts a child, their last name is now on this name. They also inherit everything, right? You have, the, you have the name put upon him, receive the spirit of adoption. You have access to the throne of grace with boldness. You're enabled to cry, Abba, Father. You're pitied, protected, provided for, chastened by him like a father, yet never cast off. Sealed to the day of redemption, and you get to inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Those are the amenities of being a part of the family of God. What scripture is pointing us to this morning is for you to find the place of your belonging, to find your identity, to find where you fit, to find your purpose. Paul is clearly stating that your belonging is being found in the Lord. You are his, and it was the intention of why you were created to be a part of his family. Every year around this time, as we end youth group, we go into the summer, I try to plan out what we're going to do in the fall, our curriculum for Wednesday nights. 
Um, so I try to think ahead so that way I have the whole summer to acquire different resources. And um, I've been really convicted that um, we're not catechizing uh, anymore as a culture of Christians. Um, and it's my fault for the youth that we haven't been working on our cat- catechisms, which if you don't know what that is, these are it's a resource that compiles um, these truths of, of Scripture and puts them into a, a resource of questions and answers able for us to build a foundation upon understanding our faith and who God is. It's especially great for children. We can rewrite them so the children can start memorizing these truths about who God is. And Timothy Keller, who is a pastor within our denomination, an author, a theologian, Um, His church and himself put together a new catechism. And the very first question in that catechism is this. What is our only hope in life and death? Now that's not just a Christian question. That's a a question that mankind asks all the time. Whether they ever say it out loud, I know people at one point or another are thinking, what is my hope? purpose? What is the point of all this? Where do I belong? How do I fit in? Where is my hope? What am I living for? And the answer is this, that you're not your own, but belong body and soul, both life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I know you don't feel worthy of that, I don't feel worthy of that. I belong to Christ. You know, a lot of churches use this slogan, which I really like. And it says, you know, come to our church. A perfect place for imperfect people. Have you guys ever heard that before? I like that. It's good. First of all, because it identifies everybody. (laughs) It's like a perfect place for imperfect people. Oh, that's me. Imperfect. Show me where that place is, because that's where I belong. And I think we'd all be pretty willing to admit that, that we're not perfect. So I like that slogan. But what I hope and I imagine is being taught afterwards is this is not the church that is the perfect place. It's not this building that's the perfect place for imperfect people. What I hope is being taught next, that the perfect place for imperfect people people is found in the perfection of Christ. That's the only place for imperfect people. Because without standing in the perfection of Christ, you do not belong to God. Only those who stand in the perfection of Christ, the imperfect people who embrace their their stature as standing in the perfection of their Lord and Savior will belong to the family of God for all of eternity. And I'll tell you, because of this, the whole world has been broken down into two groups. There's two places where people belong. There's two places in this room that people belong, in our community and in the rest of the world since mankind has been created. And the two places are, you either belong to the Lord or you don't. Nothing else matters. You You can put all your energy into some group, into some club, into some community, but when all is said and done, in the grand scheme of things, it only matters whether you belong to the Lord or whether you don't, because that determines eternity for you. So I want to address both of you. First of all, those of you who belong to the Lord. I 
I pray that you would embrace your authenticity. You're not going to figure it out perfectly. But I pray that you would embrace these truths that we've studied today in Scripture, that you have been set aside, adopted by God. And so that the intention, the function of your heart to worship him may start functioning as it was intended to. Whatever's in there that you are pouring your heart into is a waste of time if it's not the Lord. Pour your heart into where it's an original fitting place, and that is in the presence of the Lord. Embrace your purpose as sons and daughters. Find security in the perfection of Christ. For those of you who do not belong to the Lord, I, I want to be honest with you. Today you find yourself here without belonging. You're lost. You have no eternal purpose. I get it. majority of the world thinks that this life is it. You got 100 years and poof, you're gone. And so I get why you'd want to devote all your time and energy into fitting into the world if you believe that that's it. But the scriptures tell us that it's not it, that this is just a speck of dust when it comes to eternity. And I would say for you, those of you who don't belong to the Lord, that I find it interesting that you're here today. I'm somebody who doesn't believe in coincidences. I don't think that the idea of chance and luck is very biblical. I believe that God is sovereign, as in all things are ordained by him. So if you fall into that group of those who do not belong in the Lord, and yet you are here today, I find that interesting. Because that means the Lord has brought you here today. Not me. Not any promises of good food. <laughs> you were brought here on the Lord's motive for you to hear about where you belong. Isn't that good news? Amen, Amen. yeah. That's why God has brought us here today. And if you were part of that, fam of that, of that group that, that you would say, I don't, know, I don't know if I belong to the Lord, well, let me tell you this. Membership's open right now. There's, it's not closed. You are here, and this is an open invitation for you to embrace your imperfection, to repent of your rebellion, and to stand in the perfection and the righteousness of Christ forever. We, you have that opportunity right now to say, Lord, I'm done living for the world. I'm done searching for my spot and my belonging. It all leaves me empty. But I want to belong to the only thing that has ever promised me everlasting life and forgiveness of sins. And that is the family of God. And so this morning we have an opportunity. Just as Jesus prepared a table for his disciples on the night before he was betrayed to again partake in these symbols of his body and of his blood to remember the sacrifice of our Lord. God has brought you here to show you your value, to show you what you're worth and to show you where you belong. Your value is you are worth the death of the Son of God. The price paid for you was the death of the Son of God. That's who you are. That's how much God loves you and would do all, anything to bring you into his presence.
So now you have the opportunity to celebrate that love, to celebrate that gift, to celebrate that forgiveness by partaking in these means of grace together. But I will tell you, partaking in the Lord's Supper is not just eating bread. Partaking in the Lord's Supper is not just drinking a cup. This is a moment of worship that we have between you individually and your God to come before him and and lay everything out on the table. Say, Lord, I've been searching in all the wrong places. I've been struggling with this sin. I've been tempted in this way. I have been ignoring and rebelling, and, and I just want to lay it all before your throne now. Please forgive me, Lord, and be renewed again, once again, by your gospel that reminds me that I am yours and you are mine. So take this opportunity to speak with your Lord. Take this opportunity to cry out to your daddy. Say, Daddy, I'm sorry. I need you. I need your arms. I need your comfort. I need your love. Go before, the, go before your Lord now and ask him to search your heart if there's anything unclean, anything that would prevent you just enjoying the grace and mercy of being one of his. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, you are our only hope. In life and in death, I pray, Lord, that we would cling to the cross, that we'd find our identity as sons and daughters of the almighty creator. Lord, I pray that we would desire to learn to live in the way we were intended to, Lord, in a life pleasing to you. And we know that the infection of sin, Lord, uh, will sneak up on us and will weigh down on us. But we thank you that all Uh, that it was weighed against us, Lord, has been taken away because of the cross, because of you, Lord Jesus, and your sacrifice. So now we remember this, the greatest purchase in history, a sinner, Lord, for righteousness. We thank you. Jesus, let me pray. Amen.